first rule in grip sport is you tell everyone about grip sport. You know, crushing, pinch grip, thick bar, wrists. If the best guy in the world can't lift 100 pounds on it, I, I don't give a shit about it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Grip Show. Um, with me today, I have a lifter that many of you know, many of you probably follow. Um, but it's more than just a grip guy, for sure. And we're going to discuss that with him. Um, but James Fuller, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And you go by Strongman Archaeology um, as yeah. well. So yeah. that's a lot of people yeah. would be maybe more familiar with that name even. Um, yeah. Or they follow your different pages. Um, yeah. What kind of got you... I guess where does the strongman archaeology come from or why did you kind of go that route with that name or I guess kind of, like I said, go that route with your training in general. Well, I was, I was bodybuilding for the first 20 years. And uh, I remember it was an article. Oh, I can't remember if it was the May 97 Ironman magazine. And I had a picture of George Olison of Denmark. And it said, is he the strongest man in the world? And, he was doing a, he was, he had the Guinness book of world records for a time. He was doing a middle finger deadlift of over 700 pounds and he did it multiple times. And the mag and, and because that one arm that did it was three inches bigger than his other arm. So it looked like it was always contracted all the time. Even when he was doing deadlifts, the muscle just bowed out from all that tension. And of course the guys, you know, want to know how do you, you know, how, Oh, what do I got to do to get the arm like that? And, the magazine said, well, we're not going to tell you to do middle finger deadlifts, but we'll tell you to kind of try to mimic it with a single dumbbell. And um, what I remember is how much my delts blew up. And I had been bodybuilding for 20 years, but I had never had anything hit my entire delt like that, that angle of pull. And I was, that's when I was kind of like, you know, I think there might be more out there than what I've been doing with just bodybuilding. And we've, yeah. we've always had this attitude of, well, there's a reason why that stuff's in the past. We don't do that anymore. We don't need that anymore. And I started going, well, this is something I could definitely use. I wonder what else is out there I could use. And so that's when it was really kind of the catalyst of like, maybe I need to like look at some of the old stuff and see if it's got anything for me. What else am I missing out on? You know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think sometimes um, we get so caught up in, I guess, like the, uh, recycled trends or you know the the latest fads when it comes to fitness lifting any, any kind of strength i don't say hobby but any kind of strength endeavor there's there's different waves and different trends that come through and you can name almost any sport it's like there's always the, those fundamental movements or fundamental patterns that you know, they, they, they worked back then they were good for back then. Like, why did they just kind of fall off or why is that no longer right. accepted? And, and you almost see, uh, even though things have evolved, so to speak, that people would say, there's a lot of things that have almost taken steps backwards because of, uh, yeah. I don't know, yeah. maybe we could say maybe, you know, lack of mobility or just being stronger yeah. through different various ranges of motion, as opposed to, I guess, you know, one line of motion like a lot of people maybe nowadays do i i don't know so like i said i, I see you do your lifts and stuff like that and mm. like you'll be doing almost like you call them like waiter presses is that right where you're almost like yeah twisting. It's like, like yeah well yeah waiters press basically anything you do with a plate in your hand like a waiter serving a serving yeah. food on a tray 
So I do a lot of that just to keep the wrist open, more balance. You know, I try to build as much mobility into my strength training because if you make it part of the strength training, then you can't skip it. Yeah, exactly. Whereas if you're just hitting all strength, it's really easy to be like, oh, I'm not going to do any mobility work. Um, right. But but that's, that's the point I was going to make with kind of the waiter presses or like your bent presses and other things like that that we see you doing is that you're you're putting so much of the mobility aspect or almost like, I guess you could say like loaded stretching into yeah. the training. And uh, yeah. you're, you're kind of just getting more bang for your buck. Do you think that that's something that gets overlooked in today's training climate? Uh, I, don't, I know what you mean by overlooked. I don't think it's necessarily overlooked. I think you overlook yeah. something that you know is there. I think it's just not okay. recognized. I don't think okay. it's recognized that, for me back when it started back 20 well no probably 35 years ago i was in bodybuilding but i realized i remember reading articles talking about the myoetic or the stretch reflex whatever you want to call it and the idea is is that a, a muscle that is stretched has more strength coming out coming up than a muscle that hasn't been stretched and i'm like so right away it clicked in my simple brain that if you want to be strong, you got to be flexible. Mm-hmm. You got to use that stretch reflex. So I would try to use a stretch reflex on everything I could, you know? So to me, it's always made sense that that strength and flexibility are part of each other. You can't separate them. They may be two different sides of the same coin, but they're still part of the same coin, you know? Yeah. Now you kind of said, I mean, you've been training for like, 40 years or 40 so years. probably 40 years. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. with that being said, you kind of talk about that earlier portion, you know, kind of hitting the bodybuilding a little bit heavier. And then maybe you're realizing yeah. there's other stuff that you you've, you're missing out on, or mm. when do you start to kind of branch out and kind of take that, uh, those new paths to kind of, uh, I guess the next level or, or whatever, when, when, when do you start getting maybe heavier into uh power lifting or like the old time strongman stuff? Mm. When, when does that happen? For me, it was around my 20th year, you know, but probably about 33 years old. I was in my mid thirties. It was about 20 years in, got into powerlifting, the sport of weightlifting. And I got into strongman. I competed in those. I still compete in weightlifting. Strongman I did and powerlifting I did for seven or eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And I've done some grip competitions. I like grip competitions. They're a lot of fun. I mainly go to grip competitions because they're fun. I don't know anything about the implements, but I go down and I'll go down to uh, Jed's meets because Jed and Lucas always, they're always fun to be around and they have a fun meet. So I always go down there. Yeah. So um, like I said, so that was one, one of the big things I think I wanted listeners to understand was like, you have a very diverse background. Um, I know it is the grip show and we discuss a lot of grip strength and, that is a component right. of your training. I mean, I, we see you doing all kinds of different um, hub lifts, plate pinches. I, I've seen you do, uh, you know, tons of grip work and, you know, uh, scale weights, you know, pinching scale weights and cleaning them, different stuff. So there's a lot of uh, yeah. grip aspects in that. But I just wanted to make that point early on that, like, you know, hey, this isn't a guy that just hangs out and does a couple grip competitions. This guy has, like, a depth no. of knowledge <laughs> that we're going to get into in other uh other facets of strength yeah. and a little yeah. bit more history, you know, with some other stuff too. But, uh, but yeah, like you yeah. said, you've also done some things on the grip side as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So 
I guess one of the first things I'd like to dive into, um, if, like I said, a lot of listeners have already seen your videos for those that are new and uh, haven't. A lot of us in in the grip world, we kind of uh, have home gym setups or we lift in our home gym, right? And you have one of the greatest collections of uh, like vintage plates that anybody's ever seen or probably yeah. ever owned. Um, yeah. and, and, and I would like to talk some old plates with you and stuff as well. But sure. Sure. you you have this collection, I guess, that we would call a home gym, but most of your lifting takes place outdoors, which is a little right. bit different than what we see from the home gym that everybody else right. has. They're lifting inside. So. Right. You might be using a tree stump. You might be on a piece of like yes. plywood. You're, you know, it's a, it's a little different, you know? So yeah, uh, yeah. I, I just yeah. think that's kind of cool. What, um, is, is it just yeah. a matter of like the storage with your weights? What, what are you just like training outside better? What kind of, uh, I guess, drives you to like ha have that be your home gym or that's your training space? Uh, it kind of just happened. I, I know that a lot of the old time strong men, trained in pretty harsh conditions because there just wasn't a lot of uh, a controlled environment. Like platforms used to be made of two by fours because a plywood, well, mainly because plywood was so expensive at the time. And that's where lifting shoes became one piece that crept sole was because the plywood pieces would curl up because uh, people didn't have climate controlled buildings. And those that did were very expensive. So you had plywood was too expensive. The controlled climate indoors was too expensive. So you had these platforms made of two by fours and they would start to curl up and you'd catch your foot on it. So that's where they went from a, a heeled boot to a one piece weightlifting shoe. That's the reason why. But um, so I know they trained under those conditions and I, I will sometimes train in my shed. And at this point, I don't have any room in my shed because I've got so much, so many plates in there. So it just kind of became, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to train outdoors. I'm going to try to move into the cellar if I can this winter. And we'll see how that goes. But what's yeah. nice about being outdoors in the wintertime is the air is so dense and fresh and clean. There's no pollen. There's no dust. There's no bugs. So it's, it's really great training in that cold air. Well, and for anybody that's not aware, you're located in Maine as well. Yes. So, 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 yeah. so, so, so you're up there. You know, you're, 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 up, you're yeah. up there pretty far yeah. north for us in the States. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, sometimes it's snowing when I'm training. Yes, that is true. Now, I, I guess this is just a funny, uh, kind of a funny question here. There are some people that, cause I, I, I hinted at your kind of vintage weights collection or just the plates yeah. you have and the variety of uh, strength equipment. Um, yeah. there are certain people that will like, uh, and, and I guess to each his own, but there are people that will, like uh, polish their weights, oil them, do all these things. You know, they, they almost treat it yeah. like it's a museum piece. It's an artifact. And then you're out here like lifting in the dirt with rocks and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, yeah. do you, uh, I don't want to say like, do you disagree with what they're doing necessarily? Cause it's not like what they're doing, but it's like, I bet some of those people probably cringe when they see like, man, this guy has like the most rare and coolest yeah. plates. And he's out here just like, cleaning yeah. them and dropping them in the dirt or something crazy but it's yeah. like uh you yeah. know I've up, yeah how do you feel I've about upset, that well i've upset some people i know because sometimes <laughs> sometimes there's twenty thousand dollars on the bar and you wouldn't even know it you know yeah uh so what's funny is we're we both are fulfilling the purpose of what what we're why we've got the weights some people their purpose is to display them mm-hmm 
I can pretty much, if you came over, I could tell you why each plate is there, what training. Most of it's for hub lifting or pinch gripping or rim lifting. It's something to do with grip is why I have all those different plates. It has to do with some feature that it has that the other plates do not. And so even though some people hang them on the wall to display them, they're fulfilling the purpose of why they, they got them. And I'm fulfilling the purpose of why I got them is to use them. Uh, I've, I've sold some recently because I realized that if I break them, they're not going to be worth anything. So mm-hmm. some of it I've sold, I've started selling some of it because it's like, you know, if you break it, it's not going to be worth anything. And you, so I, I don't collect to collect, like there's a specific reason I can mm-hmm. point out to every plate why I have it. If you come over, I'll, I'll show you why every plate is there, what its job is. Okay. It m- makes total sense to me. Yeah. I just, I just had yeah. to ask because like you were saying, there's people that maybe there's some that definitely know the worth of what you're lifting and there's others that maybe oh, this yeah. guy's just got some old weights and he's banging them around and other people are <laughs> like man um so yeah oh yeah, yeah that, that that was one that uh i i had to ask because like i said yeah. not only yeah. do very few have those plates you know the people right. that have them aren't outside you know lifting in the conditions no. you are so no i, I just I, I appreciate kind of that uh i guess like you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier that old school approach and not always the ideal conditions kind of just, you know, th- right. these, these things were meant to be lifted. And if it's outside, it's outside. If it's on this platform, whatever I'm, I'm doing the training. So yes. I, I definitely respect that. And uh, like I said, admire the, uh, the plate yes. collection. Now with just mentioning the collection a little bit, well, do you have, uh, do you have like certain plates? If you've or paid certain- that much money, if you've paid that much money, well, if you've paid that much money, I think you ought to get your money's worth and use them as often as you can. Makes sense. Now, out of your collection, do you have a specific yeah. plate that maybe stands out the most or a handful of them that you're like, okay, down the road, I might sell these, but I would never sell this set or whatever. Is there a certain one that maybe has like uh, any sentimental value, maybe not just a yeah. dollar sign on yeah. it? Um, and yeah. could you maybe explain what that is or why? Yeah. Yeah, so I just uh, actually just said that in a video a couple of days ago where I did that uh, double hub lift, that double hub clean and press, military press. And I'm doing it with those Weeder first generation 45s from 1947. And do those have like the cross, only... the, the cross hub on them? Or do they have like the... No, no, not, that's not, not second those? generation. Okay. This is much, uh, this is earlier. The hub is bigger than my hand. Mm-hmm. The hub is like five inches or so wide. Uh, it's the first plate where the spokes go all the way to the rim okay. and, uh, the hub is taller than the rest of the plate. So if you try to pinch grip them, they actually don't fit because yeah, the hubs kind of are fold. taller than the rest of the plate. And those I would, are probably one of the last plates I'll get rid of. They're rare. They're worth some money, but they are so good for my hub lifting that it'd be hard to get rid of them, whether they were a dime a dozen or not just the design of them you know yeah i don't know of anyone else that has a pair i haven't seen another pair yet okay yeah so those are pretty pretty rare uh, just a question because i've seen them now they might be like i don't want to say first generation yorks but the yorks that have like the giant letters on them if you know what i'm talking about there's 45s by yeah. york that have like the huge letters yeah. are those like the no. first generation uh is that yes. accurate yes okay and yes. do you ha- do you have any of those I wish. I wish. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> that would cost if you had a pair of those not broken, not cracked, not re- repaired. 
Wow. You're probably looking at, you'd be lucky to get a pair for five grand. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 You, you know, though somebody a few years ago on offer up, was it offer up or Craigslist? They got a pair for 250 bucks. Wow. I was like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> that, yeah. That, that stuff does. That's like a miracle when it happens. It, it doesn't happen very often, oh, but yeah. every now and then somebody oh, will luck yeah. up and, uh, find something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. I guess with mentioning some of the, the more expensive plates or like, I guess, you know, to say kind of, you know, one of your favorites, um, are there any plates out there that you feel are kind of overrated that maybe people are a little too hyped up on them and there's not really any reason for it? Um, um I know I bought some Jackal Lane plates to do some hub lifting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was overinflated the price and the difficulty of the hub lift. It's, it's, uh, I hadn't practiced hub lifting in six to eight months and I was able to, I think I was able to hub clean up my second workout and I, mm-hmm. I hadn't been training at all. And I'm like, these aren't that hard. If I could just go and grab them and within my second workout, I can clean them by the hub. They're, they're not that difficult. And I don't know why they're worth that much. They were not, they're not really a vintage plate. They're like from 1973 to 76, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. It's older, but I, I wouldn't consider it a, a an iconic plate you didn't see the plate used in the olympics or in national powerlifting meets so there's no picture of like like with bell foundry company they're famous because you'll see arnold and franco training outdoors at venice beach on those bfco 45 so that makes sense um york third generation sell for about a thousand a pair york third generation 45s and it's kind of bizarre because it's about popularity. It's not about rarity. I mean, they made those for a quarter of a century. They're not rare. Not many plates get made for 25 years. Yeah. So they're only going for a thousand because they're popular, but it's not because of rarity. They're all over the place. You know? Okay. That, yeah, that makes sense. I just wanted your opinion on that. You know, like what what yeah, exactly yeah. is a rare play? What you know, what's worth it? What's kind of not, not, or just a uh, right a little take on that. Now, yeah. just to stay on the vintage plates thing for a minute. Um, sure. Is there ever a pair that you know people talk about, like the the one feet that got away or something, or the one that got away? Is there ever a deal or a specific plate or setup that? you were eyeing, you almost got, or you wish you had, and you just haven't come across that, that specific set of plates. Yeah. Um, Mars 45s. Okay. Um, we don't know. And we don't even really know anything about them. There's really no history to them. Uh, but what happened is, is all of a sudden everyone started buying up plates and because they're rare, they think automatically it's worth something. Cause I've been trying to get a pair for years and I, I'd come across a pair from somewhere for $100, but the guy didn't want to ship them. Find another pair for $150, but the guy doesn't want to ship them. And it'd be, I'd have to take a plane ride to go get them, so it wasn't worth it. Yeah. And then enough time went along that all of a sudden these younger guys started buying up plates. Maybe it's because they couldn't buy the ones that are really worth something. So maybe they drove drove up the prices of the the tier, the second tier, third tier choice. I don't know, but now those plates are priced so crazily. I'm I'm thinking you'd have to pay probably three thousand dollars to get a pair of Mars plates. And it's like, why? 
just because they're rare, they're not really significant. They're not a, yeah, you know, it's, it's like, I'd love to have a 1934 Dodge four by four, but a 1934 of a name I've never heard of before. I'm not going to pay a lot of money for, you know? So it's just a funny market that's gotten overinflated. So like 20 years from now, York's and Jackson's and Berg, Berg is the one that kind of started it all from Germany. Um, those are always going to be worth something. But these plates that kind of have this falsely inflated value right now aren't going to be worth what they're worth later on down the line. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're going to get guys that probably dropped a couple grand on some plates and then they can't even they can't they can't even give them away hardly. You know. Right. right. And so so my, the, I, the only reason why I wanted the Mars plates, the 45s, is I had a, somebody said, it, you know, those are harder to hub lift than they look. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get a pair. I want to know. You know, that's why I've bought all these plates. I, you know, I bought a pair of round edge paramounts, which are worth stupid money, just because I wanted to know what's it like to hub lift. Them. Yeah. You know, it's so. now with uh, with purchasing so many different plates for the sake of like hub lifting or different aspects like that. Um, it what is it about the hub lifting? Is it just the challenge of it? Is it just maybe the, uh, the carryover into anything else? You know, do you, do you see carryover into other things or is it just the challenge of it? Kind of what is, uh, I guess what drives you to, I guess, want to hub lift all these different things where someone else might be like, I want to plate pinch all these things. What, you know, and, right. and you do that as well, right. but right. What kind of drives you to, uh, I guess, try such a variety of different hubs or drives that feat? I uh, I just like the different designs, the different challenges, seeing if I can master it. Um, and I um, I'm I gotta have, you know, because my deadlifts, my hack lifts, they're all up in the you know I'll get up to six hundred pounds or so. So I'm, I need a lot of forty fives anyways. Mm-hmm. So why not have a bunch of forty fives that I can also use for different grip training purposes? But when I'm done with them, I can also put them on the bar and squat them or deadlift them or clean and jerk them or whatever, you know? Yeah. No, it's, def- it's nice yeah. that, that different, uh, different ways of, uh, of gripping all that variety is nice. Okay. Now this, this will kind of, I guess, slide off into a different uh, transition. Um, we see a lot of people nowadays and, and like I said, I'm, I'm keeping it very vague because this, this could be anybody that you see on the internet. Uh, the social media stuff is kind of picked up and a lot of days now you have people doing things for attention likes, and it's, it's almost not so much about the benefits of their training. Right. And right. Uh, uh, I guess in your words, and like I said, this is just your opinion. So, I mean, it, it's not that it's, I guess, right or wrong. People can agree or disagree, but what, Right. What what do you kind of feel in your words would be like the uh, right reasons to train or, you know, what, what would theoretically be the, the purpose of training to you or the right reasons to be training? Because I think, we, and this is just my opinion as well. I think a lot, a lot of times today we see a lot of people kind of, uh, kind of training with some ego or it's attention trying to almost, I guess, go viral or whatever they want to say. It's like, they're not really doing it for the application of strength or the, the progression of lifting, if you get what I'm saying. So I guess in your own words, what do you feel are like kind of the right reasons to train or like I said, just your own words. I I know I'm kind of wording that question a little weird, but no, 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 that's fine. No, I get, I think I get what you're saying. 
I, I don't fault anyone that uh, that is is doing things with weights for entertainment value um because that's where kind of what competition comes in uh, is entertainment for the spectator right and then the old time strongmen made their bread and butter made their money doing things that got the attention that people would come and see them in vaudeville and that's why even though it was the early late 1800s early 1900s they were able to make thousands of dollars a week which is huge money so i'm not against um i'm not against any kind of entertainment stuff and some of it is pretty extreme and i will do it's okay to have fun with your weights you don't have to do it a certain way but um you have to decide for yourself do you want to be an entertainer or do you want to use the weights as a way to develop you as a person and i think those are basically the two routes you or you could be a competitor guess is the third route you can go so okay. with the entertainment it's going to be about making others happy and and if you're an entertainer your happiness is dictated by how happy you make other people when something doesn't go over as well as you thought it would you may go in thinking it's a great idea and all you do is hear hear their crickets chirping because it didn't do very well can you handle that or are you going to use the weights to enhance the quality of your own personal life make you stronger, make you more mobile, help you live your life at a, at a higher degree, even as you get older. Like I'm going to be 52 in a few days and I can still do many things that many people my age or younger can't do. You know, I yeah. still do splits and so on. So you just have to decide what do you want to do? What fulfills you? What makes you happy? Because some people it's going to be all about the entertaining, you know? Yeah. Um, like I said, I've, Pretty, pretty much agree with that. Like I said, it's everybody, it's kind of a tool and anybody can kind of use it the way I guess they want yeah. to. Um, I just, it's, it's kind of too bad if, if the young kids are looking at it thinking that's what they got to do and they yeah, don't. They, they could kind of be deceived a little bit or maybe, I guess, I don't yeah. say kind of led down the wrong path. Not, I guess wrong, yeah. but, but yeah, they, they could no. kind of be led astray from maybe traditional purposes yeah. of the training. Well, and they may not realize the amount of training it got to get to that point. And that's the reason why the person who does it doesn't get injured. That's something yeah. that that person may have started doing entertainment after a decade of regular training, which the new kid isn't going to necessarily see or appreciate. Then they run out and try to duplicate it and then get injured or have setbacks and right. don't see right. the same progress. Right. Um, right. So if, if, uh, if I were to kind of break down, I guess, different categories of weightlifting, and and this is just once again kind of your opinion. It's just kind of a fun fun question here. Is uh, yeah, like if we were just to say like Olympic lifting or Olympic yep. weightlifting, do you have like a favorite? I'm going to be asking you, I guess, some favorites. Do you have some favorite people or uh, maybe lifters that you looked up to or people that you thought were kind of at that elite level that, uh, like I said, maybe maybe kind of shaped your training or like I don't want to say you're a fan of per se, but like. You know, like, is there anybody that you could kind of say that was your favorite, so to speak? Like, hey, I, you know, when this guy would talk or there's footage of him or I read stories about him and that's kind of your go-to? Doug Hepburn was probably the top of the list because today he'd be considered a a disabled athlete, but he was winning the world championships back in the 50s. Uh Um, He was uh, the first guy to bench 500 
and I think the first to bench 550. Um, one of the first to squat seven, to deadlift seven. Uh, could one hand strict press 200 pounds? And, um, and his uh, training routines, his training courses that he used to sell, that I think you can still get online. Every person I've talked to has benefited from his training courses. Like his stuff really works. Like if mm -hmm. you want to get strong, uh, he also had a strict curl record. I think his strict curl with a regular straight bar was 255 pounds. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he was, he was something else. You know, I admire him a lot. Uh, Tatiana from the former Soviet Union, probably from the Russian part. She was the first woman to clean and jerk 400 pounds, and she has immaculate form. Because I remember Kurt Kowalski, when he retired, he was a famous power lifter. And mm -hmm. I asked him, hey, now that you've retired, anything you want to delve, uh, anything you want to hand out that maybe you would, you would not have offered up when you were competing? And he's like, you know, when I was stuck and I knew it was a technique issue, I would go watch women compete because women have to have better technique than men do. Men can kind of bowl through it. And so I watch a lot of women's weightlifting because they have to do things so precisely, so perfectly. Um, they can't get away with the same stuff that the men can get away with. So I spend a lot of time watching women's weightlifting. I was going to say, I think that's probably a good tip too, just for a different, uh, yeah. a, a different viewpoint that a lot of lifters nowadays, whatever they're lifting in, don't think of. Mm. And I think that sometimes we tend to, look to like the top like if, if we're you know male competitors we're looking at like the male division and who's the strongest and it's like sure. kind of like any like superior athlete or the the elite of the elite it's almost like well what works for that guy might not be your your same answer so you might be kind of looking in the the wrong places you know like i don't know if you play basketball and you go to michael jordan and try to study what he's doing you it might not be the best yeah. thing to help you out, you know, cause you're not that guy or whatever. So no. I, I think that that is a well, uh, good outside perspective of, uh, there are, well, there are those I look to for inspiration and then yeah. there are those that I look to for information. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference, you know, um, especially with weightlifting, the sport of weightlifting, cause a lot of those athletes have been, groomed from a very young age so you're talking about the genetic elite and so a lot of the weightlifting programs i see today whether you realize it or not they're trickle down from these top levels and they've been modified a little bit to work at a more local level but it's still kind of based on people though that don't need as much accessory work that don't need yeah. as much help getting to where they're going so you've got to know how to read between the lines and realize I might need more accessory work than what this program calls for. You have to use your head. So I tend to look at old weightlifting programs from the fifties and earlier back when there were no steroids yeah. and uh, back when weightlifting was stricter, you know, you weren't allowed to touch the body with the bar on the way up with a snatch or a clean. So there was no contact and it was much harder. Like today, the super heavyweight uh, snatch record is just under 500 pounds. And if that lifter had to do it by old school rules, they would have a hard time even doing 400 pounds. So steroids definitely help people lift more. But when you're talking competitive powerlifting and competitive weightlifting, rule changes 
are the biggest reason why they're lifting more, more so than steroids. If you okay. make it easier to get a weight passed, uh, to get a lift passed, powerlifting mm-hmm. used to be a flat back, no arch, no leg drive, two-second pause at the chest on the bench. Not many 600-pound benches are going to happen that way. You know? No. Not many 500-pound benches are going to happen that way. <laughs> so... Of course, lifters today are working hard, but they're working with a much more favorable set of rules. Yeah. Now, you kind of mentioned powerlifting there. If I just kind of go down the line of some of these strength sports, um, do you have any, and this could be, like you said, um, this could be a uh, inspiration or information type deal that you look to, mm-hmm. but uh, the same, pretty much the same question from the Olympic weightlifting to now powerlifting. Do you have a certain... Um, power lifter it could be a lifter former coach anything that um yeah maybe you draw certain you know maybe there's a certain uh, person that you maybe have drawn more information from or like you said it's inspiration or information one of the two but in powerlifting uh who would be kind of some of your top people or uh some of your favorites there uh today it's fun to watch dan bell because he's Mm -hmm. lifting raw and he's putting up stupid numbers like ridiculous numbers and then uh, Ed Cohn, I've been following since the 80s. And what's amazing is, is people don't realize that before the suits got to where they are now, well, the mm-hmm. suits got crazy. It, Ed was in the 220s most of the time that I recall him. When I got into it, he was already in the 220s. And his total, not only would, out, would, not only would it win the 220 class, but it usually would win the 242 class. The total would have won the 275 class. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have a 308 class, so it was super heavy after after that. And he would out-total everybody at 220. And it made me realize that um, a phrase that I came up with for myself is that world records are just someone else's PR. All this time, you know, a lot of athletes are like, oh, that world record, and they take on that world record that it applies to them. And Ed seems like the kind of guy that was like, the world record was just a number that's a guide on my way up. It's like, okay, I'll know I'm doing good when I get past that number, but it didn't. Instead, everyone goes, Oh, if I can just beat the world record by a few pounds. Whereas he, he didn't look at it that way. It seemed like he's like, ah, it's someone else's PR. I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. And he would go way beyond. Remember, this is a guy that was deadlifting 901 in a full mm-hmm. meet at 220. Yeah. How many people are deadlifting 900? Not many. How many of them are doing it under, under 300 pounds? Not many at under 250, not many, you know, there is today more than then, but he was definitely inspiration. And then uh, again, I'll go back to Doug Hepburn because to me, he's the first power lifter because he had a, um, a foot that he was born with a club foot that he had surgically repaired in the 1930s. So think about surgery in the 1930s, how good it was compared to today. So he had to do, he's the first one to really focus on heavy bench pressing and reading. He described the squats he did in his training. Those are power squats bar low down the back, sitting back, putting the focus on the glutes and the lower back to help with his weightlifting. And he did a lot of deadlifts. So this was a good decade before powerlifting became an organized national sport in 1964. So when it's, again, powerlifting information, I go to Doug Hepburn because he really knew what he was doing. And he had to. He had to make up the difference because he just didn't have that leg. 
that everyone else had. Okay. And this one might open the floodgates here because there's a lot to work with. Um, if I'm just going to say like old time strongman, and that can kind of include, I guess, any of our, I guess your typical names that kind of get thrown around, but like the Thomas inches, the Arthur Saxons, um, just, it could be old time performing strongman, but kind of more, I'm not, I'm not, not really talking modern day or, you know, like right. world strongest man type stuff. I'm talking, you know, kind of, I guess what would be considered the, uh, more old time stuff. Do you have any like old time feats or old time strongman that I guess you kind of, uh, I don't know, put up there at the top of your list. Probably Arthur Saxon is mm-hmm. right up there. Um, he and his brothers, uh, Herman and Kurt were known as the Saxon trio. And, uh, they always had a, was it a 500 pound or a thousand pound offer to anyone that could prove their weights weren't legit. And so sometimes somebody would show up with a scale at their show and have them more than what they said they were. Yeah. So it was always legit. Um, and he, uh, never backed down from anyone. He, uh, and, and back then, what's interesting back then, and, and he wasn't the only one to do this, and a lot of people don't realize that nobody had really access to a, to a barbell setup that was calibrated that weighed what it should. When you see me lifting those old plates, some of them weigh 43 pounds and some of them weigh 50 pounds. Like the, mm-hmm. there was, the consistency was not there unless it was Jackson. Jackson was machined plates really nice plates but anyways uh so when you showed up to a challenge you would lift on whatever was there you know so you might have this hugely misbalanced dumbbell or barbell so it wasn't enough to just lift the lift the weight but to try to balance it and handle it as well is is hard to appreciate you know because we're talking before olympic sets became common you're going to talk 1930s, you know, a good 15, 20 years after his career was gone, was done, you know. So, but he consistently showed up, lifted a lot of weight. He could put close to 400 pounds overhead with one hand. Just a, just an amazing, and he only weighed like 200, 205 pounds. Yeah, he know? wasn't a huge, he wasn't a huge guy. Um, None of them were. Yeah. None of them were. Yeah. Most of those guys were like 5'9 to 5'7, you know. Mm-hmm. but he was definitely very, very inspiring, very interesting, you know? Okay. So then if I say like, let's move into the modern era, which I mean, mo- modern as in, I guess like strongman becoming an actual sport and kind of world's strongest man to current day. Is there uh, anybody that impresses you maybe the most throughout? Cause I mean, you, you've probably been able to see it kind of from, you know, like uh Kazmaier in the beginning kind of stuff to where it is right now. Is there anybody, you know, that kind of stands out or when you were seeing that all happen in real time that I don't know, I guess impressed you or kind of you look to for maybe some inspiration there. Well, Kazmaier is hard to beat because he was a top level power lifter. And when you're so good, they won't let you come back for a couple of years because you kept winning. (laughs) Yeah. And and he showed up, and, and a lot of people don't realize that Kaz showed up, 
and he made it exciting. He made it fun because he would just go bonkers. We'd never seen anything like it. He is the reason why Strongman got popular. Single-handedly, he's the guy. Yeah. If you want to know if there's one person that made people tune in and want to watch it, you wanted to see how psyched up Kazmaier was going to get before an event. That's the reason why people tuned in. You know, There were other great competitors, of course. But if you're talking entertainment value, which is what I like about Eddie Hall today, is Eddie Hall understands the entertainment. He knows how to play the heel, just like in wrestling. He knows what he's doing. He's no dummy. He's really yeah. strong, but he knows how to play a crowd. He knows how to get you upset. He knows how to how to stay how to how to pay attention, keep you paying attention to him. So Kazmaier, Eddie Hall, uh, those are great guys. Great guys because World's Strongest Man needs to be interesting and fun to watch. It can't just be the competition. Yeah, you know. Well, I think we see a little bit of that with kind of uh, powerlifting. Not saying that powerlifting hasn't had some interesting characters over the year. Uh, over oh the yeah, years. yeah, yeah. But, but the the viewership is probably nothing compared to some of those bigger strongman events or those kind of personalities. Right. Like, uh, right. I, I don't know. Even like when Marius Pujanowski was winning like everything for a couple yeah. of years and and stuff like that. I, I just think that that. I mean, I, I just don't think that the kind of powerlifting was a little more underground, and I just don't think you had quite as many personalities or they weren't able to uh broadcast to as much of a major audience i guess to catch on and entertain like well, that. And, and pudnowski is proof that if you want if you got abs you can sell anything you know? <laughs> yeah because he so, was jacked he oh was no jacked. Yeah. everyone wanted to be like him yeah and and, and really uh for for i guess many years i mean Kaz, kazmaier was pretty lean but he was still yeah. you know, thick and big but uh but yeah, with with Pujanowski, that was kind of the first time you saw a uh, high level strongman probably walking around that lean, and it almost—I yeah. I don't want to say—kind of shifted the way people viewed it. But yeah, you're used to kind of these like big, almost like uh, I don't want to say like lineman type physique or something, you know. But they they weren't the leanest guys, and then you have Pujanowski who looks like he could almost do a, a bodybuilding meet or something if he really wanted to. So, right, um, yeah, definitely yeah, uh, and, uh, entertaining. It was. There was a guy, Curtis Leffler, that passed away. No, Curtis Leffler was quite a vascular bodybuilder who also competed in Strongman. And he died of a blood clot, which was too bad. I I thought he was going to win at some point, but his career was cut way short. And uh, But I think he would have been another jacked, ripped Strongman, you know. Okay, and then, like I said, I've kind of gone through a lot of the things, and I'm going to work it back into uh, to grip right now. So, uh sure. People that, I guess, impress you on the grip side of things. And that could be, we could talk older, we could talk more modern competitors that maybe you've even competed with or things that you've seen in person with other people. Um, who do you kind of, uh, who who kind of inspires you or who do you think is a, uh, I guess, kind of an entertaining person or someone that's uh, been been cool to watch for you in the grip world? Well, when Jed Johnson became the first to double pinch grip uh york deep dish plates so he had he had a pair in each hand and he became the first to successfully deadlift it that's that's pretty mind-blowing right there because that's always been so like the york third generation plates it's almost like they they designed them to be a grip feet because they're just over two inches thick so if you can pinch grip them 
and if you can hub lift them, that's like the gold standard of hub mm-hmm. lifting is, is pinch gripping those. They have probably the hardest or one of the hardest uh, vintage plates to hub lift is the York third gens. Now, it isn't just that those third gen Yorks are thick, but the, the rim is thin. So if you don't get them dead straight, they one will slip inside the other. Well, so they, they're, kind te- of, uh, they're kind of rounded as well, right? Yes. So there's yeah. definitely a technical aspect. So mm-hmm. when Jed did that, it wasn't just strength. Trying to do that, it's hard to understand, but it is totally different than pinch gripping another a regular pair of 45s in each hand. It is a, another level. Mm-hmm. that you you can't understand until you grab the plates and try it yourself and then you're like oh this is insane you know yeah and the plates weren't made very well so finding two pair that actually fit together mm-hmm. you know I, it's just an incredible feat it really it's hard to explain if you haven't done it and that's the that can be frustrating to people that are trying to show off their grip because unless you do a lot of grip feats you know, you take uh, Ben Douglas, who I think goes by the handle of Den Douglas, yeah, uh, yeah, on Instagram, yeah. and he's cleaning the inch dumbbell. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, he hasn't been doing it a whole long time either. You know, no, no, yeah, he's about a year, really. Yeah, so it's like, oh my god, it's kind of like when um, uh, Hunter is that his name, the mountain climber, young kid uh... came in. I'm, I'm I'm not fully I'm not fully sure. I'd have oh. to. And uh, could, or you get people like Adam Glass, who's mm-hmm. got the pinch block set up, and he does gymnastic moves on these pinch blocks. He's doing like a skin the cat or a dislocate, or he could mm-hmm. do pull ups by the pinch blocks. Yeah, uh, it's just crazy what some of these guys do, you know. And if if uh, and my best friend, he's an artist with really long hands but is from, from painting and so on. He's got really good control. Something that's taken me years to do. He'll come over and he'll do it on his first try. And it, it just humbles me every time. So yeah, you watch, you watch people like Ben or I have my best friend come over and he'll pick up like my 125 anvil by the horn the first time he tried it. And it's taken me forever to get to that point, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's inspiring and humbling all at the same time, you know? Now, out of all, like you mentioned, Jed kind of doing the plate pinching and Adam doing, uh, you know, pull-ups or Ben cleaning the inch, you know, very, very good examples. Um, do you have a specific grip feat that you witnessed in person that, like, what, what, what's probably the coolest or best grip feat you've seen, like, done in person, if you if you could pick one? Or it could be a feat of strength, honestly. It doesn't have to necessarily be just grip, um, just something that, you were like, man, I don't, I almost don't believe that I, ju- I can't believe that I just saw that. Was there ever a moment you've had like that in uh, weightlifting? In real or- life? Yeah. In real yeah. life? Aside from like, you know, seeing it on the internet, you see it on the internet. It's like, yeah, but like, has there ever been a moment where you were like there at a meet or you were doing something and you were like, man, I cannot believe that guy just did that. Well, a good friend of mine, Dan, Ga- Dan Gagne, he, uh, we competed in strongman together. We were doing a car deadlift and whether it was training a competition and the handles are two inches thick he didn't need to use straps mm-hmm. and i i couldn't understand how he could do reps for a minute without straps yeah he wasn't going to do any better or any worse with straps or without it didn't matter and i'm and he's just a regular size guy regular size hands you know just really good cupping strength mm-hmm. um seeing 
seeing uh, John Stepien. Uh, it was our first grit meet together down at Jed's. And it was his first time trying to pick the inch dumbbell. And he picked it left and he picked it right his first time. Maybe not his first try, but it was that day. First yeah. time ever touching the inch dumbbell, which is what? Two, two and a half inches thick, maybe? Yeah, 172 like two, pounds. Yeah. yeah. 172 pounds. That's basically an average size male adult, right? Yeah. Um, seeing him do that, I was like, what are you doing? You know? So that that blew my mind because I, I just can't imagine. I have an inch dumbbell that I've that I'll go back and practice with every couple of years or so, and it's getting a little closer, but yeah, it's something I want to do, but it's not something that I'm willing to forsake everything else to get it done and out of my way. There's other stuff that I, I do, like I compete in the sport of weightlifting, so that takes up a lot of my time and energy. Yeah, and, and I was going to say that's a big thing too. When you start getting to uh, very specialized feats or a certain level of uh, feat that you're trying to accomplish – sometimes you do have to kind of pull away from other categories and it's like, are you willing to sacrifice that much, you know, in these other fields to specialize for that one thing? And sometimes it's not really worth it or the timing doesn't work out, you know, and you're, you're doing other stuff. Um, so I, okay, I, 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 I can relate with that. Well, yeah. And you got to be honest with yourself. It's easy to get down on yourself saying, well, James, you've had that inch dumbbell for six years now. And it's like, it's not that important. It's something I want to do, but it's not, important that i do it i'm not trying to be the first heck i'm not even going to be the the hundredth because there's so many people that have done it so it really mm -hmm. kind of doesn't matter when i get around to it you know yeah so uh, i was gonna say unless you get online and then everybody will yell at you that your dumbbells are fake and there's only one person that's ever done it and they have no idea what they're talking about because that's <laughs> that's happened to me so uh and, yeah, and some people well, you've in some people's well, mind. You've, <laughs> you've done some pretty awesome lifts that I'm like, I don't know how he does that with the blobs, you know. Well, th thanks for that. But yeah, like some people, I don't know if you pick up the inch, they might think that you're the second to ever do it or something the way uh, uh, some of the, the, the commenters on the internet are because I've gotten yelled at several times. This is fake. There's only one person that's ever done this. And I'm like, uh, there's hundreds, but whatever. Like now yeah, if, we're talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. if we're talking cleans, that's a different story, but just to deadlift yes. it. There, yes. there's plenty of people who've deadlifted it and i've watched yes. several people their first time just walk up and pick it up um some of these grip competitions i've seen several guys just walk over and pick it up and i'm like man it took me like a year and a half to get some air with one hand and i barely got it with my left before like year two so it was like i don't know you know not that there's others that have taken longer but i'm just saying like to just walk oh, up yeah. and pick it up and it just comes right up like that wasn't my experience so um yeah, it, it's always funny um, when people think there's one guy that's only done it still. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm, I feel like there are certain things I, I'm going to make myself do. Like I'm making myself do the inch just to show a level of uh, mm -hmm. achievement. It's not something I, I have a burning urge to do, but to show, okay, this guy's legit. He's taking the time and effort to lift an inch dumbbell. I'm not going to lift the inch dumbbell and say, okay, where do I find a millennium dumbbell? That's not going to happen. Hmm. Um, that to me is a high standard. I don't think, I think I, I, I now think of the inch dumbbell as more of an intermediate stepping stone. Like you, or to me, upper level, upper crust, whatever you want to call it, 
that Millennium Dumbbell, if you can pick that, you are on rarefied air, you know? Oh, yeah. That's, that's definitely elite status. I almost feel like that that it's it, there's so many people that have done the inch. It's like bragging that you can bench 400. Well, that's good, but a yeah. lot of people can bench 400, you know? So yeah, it, just be be honest with that. That's all. Yeah, I I agree. Like I said, some people are... Some people get a little deceived by that or they're not, you know, they, they, they just don't know. But like I said, somebody that's kind of tuned into everything, you're, you're seeing how many people have done it and you can kind of gauge it, you know, and make, make those comparisons. Um, so and with, uh, with, with you being, um, so you say you still compete in weightlifting. Um, do you have anything that's like upcoming with that, that you're specifically training for? Yeah. And yeah. And I have uh, kind of just tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, I have a, uh, I have a meet coming up. Uh, I think a month from today, November 18th, mm-hmm. and that'll be in South Portland, Maine. And uh, my goal is to finally snatch body weight. I've always been like a couple of kilos away from it, and uh, mm-hmm. I want to finally hit snatching body weight. That's the big goal. Okay, so. and for that for that meet, um, what what all events are you doing? Just I, I, like I said, I'm I'm not oh yeah necessarily an yeah. expert, but w- what events are you doing? Um, I mean, is there like um, two or three different ones or it's the same as the Olympics. It'll be, okay. so it's Olympic weightlifting or weightlifting as they call it. It's a snatch and a clean and jerk. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to verify. Cause I'm like, I don't know, maybe yeah. they're contesting something else or whatever. No, um, no, but, uh, well, I wish you the best of luck for that, that competition. Thanks. Um, Thanks. and, uh, it, it's cool that, like I said, I mean, you're in your fifties and you're still pushing the envelope and trying to do things that you've never done before. So I, I think that's something, uh, that yeah we, we, we talk about that in the grip world where it's kind of like oh you can train grip when you get older and it lasts like but you know i'm not saying you're like re- really really old but like you're in your 50s you know i'm, I'm 32 right. you're 20 years older right. than me and to see someone like you that's actually like i said still setting prs but not just saying like oh well my body kind of gave out but hey there's still this grip thing left you're kind of like no i'm gonna clean or snatch more than i've ever done or that's still the goal and you're still deadlifting you know right different forms of deadlift three or four different variations you're pulling you know five to six hundred pounds whatever the case may be i think that that's a uh a good testament to smart training and the like i said we get that that thing gets thrown out so much with uh with grip that you know the longevity of it it's not as hard on your body but i think you're a good example of just well-roundedness with strength training in general to where you're still PRing and Hey, I don't have to just concede and just do grip now because my body's trashed from the other stuff. You're still hitting PRs with the body or you're pursuing them. So I I think that's a good uh, distinction to make there. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'm looking to Steinborn 500 pounds sometime in 2024, which would be fun. I've done 430. I'd like to hit 500. That's the goal in this upcoming year. And so okay. that's taking, taking the weight off the ground, tipping up one end. Yeah. You're like leaning on off the side. Yeah. Yeah. Getting on your shoulders and then you squat it. I've done 430 that way. And so uh, I'd like to do 500 next year. I think that'll be fun. Uh, okay. So we have, up, like to, okay. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going, James. Yeah. I was oh, going to ask you some goals. more future stuff. Yeah. I was going to um, ask you your future goals like, anyway. So. Oh, okay. And I was going to, yeah. I'd like to finally cross off the list. One hand pinching some deep dish York 30, uh, 45s. I haven't done it yet. It's mm-hmm. still eluded me. 
Um, I've pinch grip, you know, 20 kilo plates, but that's totally different and much easier, you know? So that would be fun. That would be fun. And eventually I'd like to snatch 300 pounds uh, in, a, in a year. So I've got all kinds of goals I'm working on to keep getting stronger and to move better. Uh, I realize I need more muscle work. I've been doing too much strength work and it's affecting my muscles. So I need to actually get my muscles stronger to keep up with my tendons and ligaments now. So it's always a balancing act, you know, mm -hmm. you just got to be honest and pay attention. That's all. Okay. And then with you kind of naming some of these feats and kind of balancing them, um, we're talking about future things that you're pursuing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah. what would you say would be, I guess, some of your um, more, I, I guess, like uh, higher end lifts that you've done throughout your life? Like, I guess, past achievements and past lifts that you've pulled off that you're kind of most proud of, or maybe they were the hardest uh, for you to pull off. I hub lifted 101 pounds back in 2017. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, do, you, uh, do you remember what kind of plate that was on by chance? Just, I'm just curious. It is on what looks like a weeder, the, the second generation, the crosshair one. Okay. But did, you, uh, did you just stack a bunch of plates on top of it for that, yeah. that lift? Okay. Yeah. 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 It was another 56 pounds added. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Steinborning 430, 430 pounds was a lot of fun. Um, all my best lifts have come after the age of 45 for anyone listening who may wonder what am I looking at for a peaking, you know, where's my mm -hmm. peak strength going to lie. And if you do things right and you're smart, you're going to hit your forties and you're going to hit your stride. Um, uh, I did an Arthur lift with almost 300 pounds, about 289. And our Arthur lift is, the bars behind you and you mm -hmm. pull it up over your hips, hop it up your back, and then you jerk it overhead. Mm -hmm. Push press or jerk. Cause back when Arthur Saxon was doing it, a push press and a jerk, there was no delineation between the two mm -hmm. at that time. I've done almost 300 that way. And that actually, that's a future goal is to get over 300 on that in the next year. Um, I did 300 yesterday, just getting the bar up to my shoulders and then squatting it. So now it's just a matter of getting it overhead. But um, I've hack lifted, which is the first part of that Arthur lift with just a deadlift with a bar behind your body. I've done 635. Um, I did a Jefferson lift with 600. That's uh, on each, a turn with the hand and each hand in front in the same workout. So it was 600 I did twice in one workout. And that's a Jefferson lift is a deadlift with one foot on each side of the bar. Mm -hmm. you're basically like straddling the bar yeah for, for, a Jefferson, for, done, for anybody that's listening or yeah yeah and i've done 550 with an axle on that way and that was a lot of fun uh could i add well, one in here for you real quick yeah yeah so, so um one that is impressive to me and i don't maybe yeah. maybe this maybe this isn't as impressive to you you, you you're, you're you're the judge of your own feats here but the first pair, and this is like a few years back when I first kind of found out that, I mean, obviously I knew, you know, grip strength was a thing, but I didn't realize that there were so many different feats and different avenues to go down. Sure. And, uh, you know, I first start getting into plate pinching. Well, yeah. the first pair of plates I ever pinched, and this would have been a couple years ago, oh, um, when, like yeah, I said, yeah, when I first yeah. started, 
first pair of plates I ever pinched was a pair of uh, deep dish international yeah. 35s. But right. you you plate pinched a and 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 I just the the feet stood out to me because internationals were the first thirty fives that I pinched and I <laughs> yeah. and I have a and I have a set of them so I can relate to the feet and uh, you pinch script them and you cleaned them yeah which I, I thought yeah. that was a, a a pretty impressive feat to uh, it, no, it's, no, hard, right. it's hard it's it's hard to pinch clean thirty fives you're plate pinching them. And to clean them. And then the fact that you did it with those deep dish internationals, when I saw that video, yeah. that stood out yeah. to me. And that was something that I was like, man, I got those same plates. That's, that's, <laughs> that, you know, that, that's tough. <laughs> so, yeah, no, uh, no, yeah, that's a, that, that's a good one. Just, you know, just like I said, you got so many, you've been lifting yeah. for so long, but uh, yeah. that was one I definitely took notice of. So um, I, I have a, yeah. I have a reason for doing some of the stuff like that. Like it's not, a lot of people think it's showing off. Okay. Um, but there's actually a reason why I do that sort of thing. So with the plate pinching, the rim lifting and the hub lifting, first you learn to deadlift it, right? Now you can either add weight, whether it's a hub lift or a plate pinch, or you can go from deadlifting it to learning how to clean it. After that, you can learn how to snatch it. And after that, you can learn to do a swing all the way overhead. Each one requires you to pull with more force, to pull more forcefully, to generate more force. And so it's a progressive process that I'm doing. Because then once I could clean, um, let's say I can clean a 45-pound uh, a hub, mm -hmm. then chances are I can add a good 10 pounds to it and easily deadlift it by the hub. Mm-hmm. So it's a way of adding speed because I've been influenced heavily by Westside Barbell and, and their use, their understanding of trying to learn how to move forcefully, move fast to lift a heavy weight. And so there's a reason why I do a lot of the stuff I do. It isn't just for variety's sake in of itself or just to show off. There's an intent behind it, you know? Yeah. And it, and it also, I mean, to some extent, I mean, it's probably very similar to how your weightlifting stacks up. I mean, it, it, essentially, you're progressively kind yes. of upping what you're doing, and uh, it, it might it might be it might not be a full clean or a full snatch, but you're still right. doing a lighter version of that movement and hitting the right. grip and hitting other things. But it it kind of falls in line with the a lot of your other training as well. So, like you said, it's not right. like oh, I'm just doing this side thing to show off, or it right. it kind of falls in line with the other lifts and the other lift selections that you're kind of doing um yeah. another thing you have down here for uh, a future goals you mentioned the uh the york deep dish 45s for a plate pinch and to yes. pinch grip a hundred pound pancake uh oh pancake yeah um yeah luke luke did it the first time he tried it and then he couldn't do it again luke raymond it was pretty funny yeah yeah i i, I saw luke lift the hundred now i I would love to try the hundred because um, I know Clint Ziegler and Luke both lifted a pair of like those standard uh, 50 pound pancakes. And yeah. then I got a pair and I pulled yeah. off a lift with those, but yeah. they, they, they had access to the, uh, to the single hundred and I don't have access to a standard single hundred to even try, but I was like, man, I, I saw Luke do it. And I'm like, well, he did the fifties yeah. and he did that hundred. I'm like, I got to get a hundred like that. But I, I only have the 50 sitting in the garage right now, yeah. but, but yeah, I, that, that's I, kind of on my list too. That, that hundred pound yeah. plate would be cool to pick up. I lent them one of my hundreds 
uh, Jed and Luke had that for a few months until I came down for the next meet. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember Luke hit it the first time and then he couldn't do it again for the longest time. <laughs> and uh, I made a video about how, you know, if you get a weight set of pancake plates, you're going to get strong and develop a strong grip because there's nothing to grab onto, you yeah. know? So I've got hundreds, I've got 75s, I've got 50s, and I've got 25s that are all pancakes. I got the 75s from my Banco, and I've been able to stand up. I don't know that I've ever seen 75s. Yeah, I've got a pair. I'll send you a video of me standing up with them, one in each hand. Man, that was hard. But yeah, the hundreds, dude, man, that is such an awesome feat. Just And it's not really to impress anyone. I just think it'd be cool. You know, yeah. uh, eventually I'd like to farmer's walk those hundreds, you know, one in each hand and go for a farmer's walk. I think that'd be the ultimate test of uh, strength and endurance with the grip, you know. Yeah. And, and I know it's obviously a little bit different because you have uh, with, with the pancakes, there's nothing to grab onto. It's just no. flat sides. But I did see you. I think the, the pair of uh, Jackson plates that maybe you sold. You kind of did oh, like yeah, a, yeah, you, you yeah. did like a, a a farewell kind of like a final yeah. uh, farmers walk. Yeah. You you farmers walked them like all the way down and yeah. basically like yeah. you know helped load them up. You know, kind of last time you were you were touching them or whatever. Yeah. I, I think that's cool. And I've I've done similar stuff where I've had a piece of uh, gym equipment or a, I don't know a blob or something or I, I sell something to somebody, but I kind of give it like one last lift or one last farmers walk or something like that before I send it off. So I. I thought that video was pretty cool as well. Thanks. Um, yeah. It, you got to have fun with your lifting or else you're not going to do it. You know, mm-hmm. you got to be honest with yourself. I've got, I know I can go in if I, if I'm having a bad day and I know I'm I, either I'm aching or hurting or whatever. I know there's grip work to do. I can go do some grip work and still have a great workout. So I tell, I try to recommend people, Hey, have a, have something on the side that, Maybe once a month you'll go and do because it's it still gives you a workout, but it's an easy out, but you're still getting a workout in. You know, you, it's good to have a backup plan. It's not something you should do every week. You shouldn't be. You should have a lot more good days than you do bad days. You know, uh, if you're having more bad days than good days, then you gotta you gotta either get some more sleep, change what you're eating, get some more water, or uh, straighten out your program. Maybe something's wrong with your program. But uh, I like to tell people have have something something on the side you can fall back on to make sure to get that workout in. Yeah, and and with that kind of uh, I guess being like some advice there. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm going from the notes here on this last part. Um, sure. But you know, you say that you you believe you've been kind of given a gift as like a problem solver, and like I said, yes. you have all this historical context that you pull from. You have all these different avenues of weightlifting and powerlifting and all these great minds that you're talking about over the years that, you know, you're, you're pulling stuff from you're implementing in your own training. Um, Mm. but you've also been able to help a lot of other people in their training as well through, I'm sure in, in person, you've helped people. I'm sure through just your YouTube channel, Instagram page, just wherever you're coaching, whether that be like virtual or, um, in person, you're, you're problem solving and you're helping people basically fix issues that are probably, I guess deemed permanent or unfixable, but then you're finding ways to problem solve and uh, help them out with that. Is there, uh, yeah. I guess, anything you'd like to touch on with that? Just to kind of, I guess, I like I said, that, it kind of explains itself. But uh, I guess maybe when did you first realize that you kind of had that gift to problem solve, or when did you first start kind of 
of, of applying it? Well, I, I have a father that does it. You can fix anything. And I almost think he enjoys more when he doesn't have the right tool for the job and he has to improvise something. I think he enjoys that creative process. Um, I accidentally helped someone in high school with an elbow problem. I was at a party. My girlfriend's talking to her girlfriend. And they're talking about uh, she has an elbow problem. And my girlfriend says, well, James lifts weights. This is in high school. People did not lift weights for health. Back then, if you were a guy that lifted weights, it's because you were insecure, gay, or both. It had There was no, this is the 1980s. There was nothing positive attached to working out with weights at all. Something was wrong with you, you know. And my girlfriend says, oh, James works out. He could probably help you with your elbow. And I'm kind of like, you know, deer in a headlight. And I reach into the fridge because I was just coming to get a Coke. And I, I grabbed this jug of milk. You know, the jug of milks, the, the plastic ones that you got to grab yeah. like, mm-hmm. a, like a hammer curl. And I said, okay, try to curl this a couple of times. And she was a, a tall, thin, wispy girl, not very strong as she struggled. And on the second one, she heard this loud, loud pop in her elbow. She's like, oh, my God, that feels so much better. You're a genius. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do this all the time. I had no idea what was going on. And I've had, so I've had little things that have happened either with others or with myself that have kind of slowly clued me in. This stuff's good for you. It isn't just working out because you're vain or insecure or gay or whatever. It's because there's something good going on here. And I started realizing if I took my time when my back hurt, and warmed up and I said, I'm not going to push it today. 20 minutes later, 15 minutes later, my back feels really good. And I wound up hitting a PR. I'm like, okay, well this, okay. So I can, I can make myself feel better keep myself healthy. And I've helped people now with arthritis issues that the pain is gone. I've helped people with carpal tunnel syndrome and that is gone. Uh, I've helped all kinds of people just by trying things that I think might help. Um, and I don't tell them that it's going to fix it. I just say, let's see what this does. Yeah. Cause I want them to have their own experience and sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't, but I, I, you try to go by with what you, what they tell you. And sometimes I have to create a new exercise for somebody's problem, you know, because it's unique to them, yeah. but it's been very rewarding. I feel like God has called me to help others because I feel like I see things that other people don't see that I see the gaps and I know how, and I figure out how to fill in the gaps. You know, uh, I think history is important because understanding the motivation. Why do we have this exercise called the bench press? Why do we have this exercise called the squat? Why was it created? The more you can understand why something was created then you can understand, well, is that my motivation as well? Am I doing it for the same reason? Am I doing it for a different reason? Is there something else that better fits what I'm trying to do? So yeah. I think a little a little more thought is not a bad thing into why we do things. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree there. And uh, if you kind of, uh, I guess, breaking down, you know, why certain things are the way they are, or why, why certain lifts were, I guess, invented or how their applications were used. Um, one of the questions you had for me was, you know, uh, what do I think is kind of missing from grip sport? Yeah. I, I guess this would kind of fall in line with what we're just talking about. There is kind of, you know, just being able to analyze something and kind of see, um, you know, 
what what exactly are we testing with grip or what exactly is right. you know why was the what, what why was the sport created what are we looking to do or you know are we testing grip strength are we testing you know or, or different formats or which format tests which aspect of grip better they're, they're, like i said there's a lot of dimensions to it but uh my personal opinion if i was to say what is missing from grip sport um there would be two i guess two sides to it and i would say on the uh the the first part of it is i think there's a little bit of an issue with uh consistency and balance and what i kind of mean by that is there have been um different uh different organizations and only you know really two main organizations that kind of test the grip style lifting i guess um i guess in the last five to twenty years ish um yeah the most part and I, I think the biggest thing like i said is the when i say consistency it's even in the the sports kind of short history there have been so many different variety of implements or changes to implements or changes to rules or there's just been so much kind of uh switching things up and yeah. it, it's hard to kind of remain consistent when the uh the stuff you're lifting on or the competition formats or the rules are kind of shifting around a little bit on you and uh, balance. I say the issue with balance would be kind of uh, certain organizations or certain things. I think they start leaning too heavily on certain implements or they start testing something a little too often or something kind of becomes popular. And then it just, it, it kind of catches on and then it just stays and then it, it almost gets overused. Um, so you know is that something that's missing i i just think there's ways that maybe in the sport we could possibly try to uh, still be consistent with a, a core group of lifts and not branch out to where we have a hundred different things and it gets too crazy but also not narrow down so much to where we kind of get tunnel vision and we're limiting ourselves and not being well-rounded in what we're testing um that's more on the i guess lift selection or rules format side of it and then the one thing i think that's kind of missing from uh grip sport and i would say this is kind of missing in a lot of people's training is uh i just feel like if you watch some of those older grip competitions i just feel like the environment and the people were just more connected to their training i feel like people were you know not, not that you have to scream or you have to have like fake enthusiasm or something like that but i'm saying like if you watch a lot of the older competitions guys were excited for each other to hit prs they were there was a little yes. more energy there was more energy in the room there was more soul in the lifting and right a lot of times with various strength sports nowadays it's almost like yes the athletes are great the feats are going up but it's almost like the sport kind of doesn't have its soul anymore and right the, just that connection to the weights, the, the goals, the everybody testing themselves. I, I just don't see that same intensity. And I, I don't know if that's just a personality thing, if that's a generational thing, but I, I don't know. Now with me kind of rambling about all the stuff that I think is kind of missing, do you have a take on some of those, uh, some of those points there? Well, I, I know what I, I can tell you what I really enjoyed about going down when Jed and Luke were running a meet is it's basically we're a bunch of knuckleheads competing. I mean, it's, it's, we want to win. We want to set a PR, but we're not taking it that seriously. I mean, 
where where all of a sudden one of us notices an implement in the middle of the meet, an implement we have nothing to do with this meet. Like, geez, I wonder if I can pull on that. Next thing you know, there's three, four, five of us mm-hmm. playing with an implement. And the, hey, it's your turn. Oh, okay, I'll be right back. You go over and do the event, whatever it was. You can't wait to get that event over with. So you go back and play with that stupid implement that's got nothing to do with the meet. Yeah. So just like I said, we're just a bunch of knuckleheads, but that's the soul of it to me. That's what makes it fun. It's like, yeah, yeah I want to get first or hit a PR or break a record, whatever, but just hanging out with a bunch of guys and, and lifting and having fun and telling jokes and being silly. And, and it, and it's not like there are million dollar contracts on the line. So how serious can I take this anyways? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So but it's the problem every sport is faced. You can either keep it underground and keep it a tight knit community with no money. You're going to put more money into it than you're ever going to get out of it. Yeah. Or do you want to try to make a go of it? You yeah. know, do you want to make it pro? Do you want it? Cause I don't care what it's about. Once money gets involved, things change. Absolutely. That's all there is to it. And that's, that's just how it is. You know, I like that grip sport, you can do meets online. You know, it's not perfect. Yeah. But I, yeah. I can accept doing meets online, grip meets online more than I can doing weightlifting or powerlifting stuff online. I just, I'm like, oh, no, yeah, yeah. let's, let's just yeah. be at a meet. Let's be together. Yeah. And, and, yeah. I, and I myself kind of uh, prefer like being in the same venue, but yeah, I, I would be on the same page. If it, if it's something there is, there is kind of a line there where like, I think there is a yes. place for the multi-venue in grip sport or arm lifting. But yeah, when it comes to those, you know, uh, squat bench and deadlift or like your, you know, yeah. Olympic style yeah. weightlifting. Yeah. I, yeah. I just feel we, we have to be in the same room if that's what's going on. And I, I don't yeah. know. It's just, yeah, it's a little, I don't want to say it's more serious, but to me, it just seems like uh multi-venue doesn't work for that kind of stuff i think it opens the it it's going to open the door a little too much whereas like you said grip is still a little bit smaller to where i I think we can kind of have multi-venue competitions without you know is everything perfect no but are we necessarily going to like open the floodgates and ruin the sport probably not whereas if you do that with powerlifting you might almost like who knows what happens if you start doing multi-venue stuff for powerlifting, it would just be chaos. Um, So yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's well, think about it. The earliest grip meet to me is going to Wyalusing to go see Judd and Luke, Judd and Luke, Mm -hmm. Judd, uh, see Judd and Luke. So that's a nine hour drive for me one way, eight to nine hours, depending on the traffic one way, you know, but it's worth it to me because it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I have meets that are, I have meets that are closer to me that I could go to in other sports, but I know I'm going to deal with a lot of political BS. I'm not going. If it's not fun, I'm not going. You know, it's and and grip sport is a lot of fun. It can be a lot of fun. And I think I like to watch arm wrestling because I think they're going through some of the stuff that grip sport is maybe starting to realize. You know what I mean? the growth of arm wrestling and it becoming bigger what yeah. you gain and what you lose. I think grip sport is kind of, you can kind of see some of that. You know what I mean? I can kind of see where you're drawing that comparison. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because I, I feel like there's kind of a level of arm wrestling where when it was, I guess, maybe a little more underground, you might have had, uh, like I said, I'm no arm wrestling expert, so I, maybe this isn't the best take, but a little more underground, maybe there was a, a little more of a uh, kind of fair fair kind of playing field or it was a little more organized. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. And then once the big money starts getting, it, it, it was probably less political on a, on a smaller scale. It was probably less political. Whereas now that the money's introduced, I things probably start becoming a lot more political yeah. entertainment based and other stuff like that. And then it, it's going to change the sport a little bit and change the landscape no matter what. Um, right. So, it, and that could be something that maybe a uh, grip sport kind of, um, I know a lot of people want the sport to be bigger or be in more places, more expos, more things, but it, it does require a lot of work and there's some other things that kind of have to happen. But at the same time, like you said, it's not always uh, the bigger, better attention isn't necessarily always going to be the perfect solution or perfect answer. I think there's always going to be kind of maybe uh, some pros and cons, and there's going to be some cons that kind of come with that. If it does get a little bit bigger or if there was more money involved, maybe, um, I, I, like I said, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough to say. Well, well, just think about it. If you go to a bigger bet venue, are we going to have that scenario where, where I said there's a random implement over there and we start messing with that in the middle of the competition? That's all going to go away. Yeah. You know, and, and that's too bad. You know, to me. And, I, and yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not. I'm someone who trains grip, but I don't consider myself a grip guy because I don't feel like I think I've qualified to go to the North Americans once or twice. Uh, I think I came close to breaking a one hand pinch world record at one point, just because I, with the plates, I fool around pinching mm-hmm. that it allowed me to do that on, I think it was on a, what's called a Euro pinch. If I remember right, I was close to yeah. it. I was doing like a hundred pounds or so, which is considered pretty good. I have no idea. Yeah. That's good but idea, I don't yeah. call my I don't call myself a grip guy out of respect for you guys that are grip guys. I'm someone who likes to train grip, but I I don't think of myself as part of the grip world or grip sport. Just yeah, because maybe, I have respect, do you get what I'm saying? You guys, no, yeah, it, it definitely makes sense, and I, I'm even kind of uh, I, I don't want to say that I'm I'm kind of similar in that fashion where. You know, I, I kind of wandered into the sport a couple of years ago. So uh, there's people that have been doing this way longer than me. I, I have a different background and everything else. I don't necessarily consider myself, a, you know, fully a grip guy, you know, because I'm almost like, man, there's guys that have been doing this for decades. And I'm, I'm kind of the new guy. And I have a whole background that I was doing before this. So, uh, you know, that's, that's who I am. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm getting better at this stuff. But at the same time, I'm not, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to run around and act like, I'm a pioneer of it or something. Um, no, no you know. but you've done really well. It's, it's great watching your videos and I don't know how you do some of the stuff you do. Cause I, I can't do it. Well, you but know. like I said, there's, there's things that you've done that, like I said, I've had those international 35s and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't cleaned them. So it, it happens. I mean, it's uh, yeah, like yeah. I said, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure if we went down the list of things that each person can do, you know what I mean? You're going to oh, have yeah. a, yeah. You, you have your yeah, skill yeah, yeah. set and I, I can't replicate it. And then there's some things that I might get you on, but I think that's oh, yeah. the, that's, that's, that's kind of the, I guess the fun in training is that you kind of pull from different yeah. people and you, and you kind of, you have good competition everywhere. Cause no one typically is going to be the best at everything. Right. Very, right. very rare, very rare to have right. someone like that. 
Well, and it's, it's what, that's, what's fun about grip is you can have somebody that looks like a total sleeper and they're just a monster at grip and you'd never know it, which is, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I love that. You know, yeah. uh, look at the crazy stuff. Robert Nedley, you know, Nedgley does, you know, it's like, what the heck, man, is he, is he bending pennies? Oh no, that's not enough. He's now trying to bend dimes with his fingers. Like what is, come on, go, go find something else to do. What is wrong with him? You know, but what well, a, what a great yeah. guy. What a great, what a great athlete, you know, just amazing what a, he does. I've never had a chance to speak with him, but I know Adam, uh, Adam Glass was on the show and Adam has always spoke highly of him and mentioned some of the things he's seen him do. And for, I guess, pound for pound yeah. or for size and the things he's bent and stuff like that. Adam always uh, uh, puts him way up there. And is well, very Adam, Adam knows what an elite gripper looks like whenever he looks in the mirror, you know? Yeah. Because uh, Adam has just also done some insane stuff. I'm like, what, how do you even do that? You know, it just, some of the stuff he does with the, uh, was it the hole? Isn't he picking like a, a hole and an inch at the same time? He's he's picked he's done some big double inch lifts like two hundred pound oh, bells. Um, yeah, and then because like, the whole ones are what two thirty one hundred and five kilos. Um, wow. he's 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 lifted the like his one hundred four, but I don't know that he's lifted it like straight weight. He's done it where he's like offloaded it with magnets, I believe. Okay, so I, so, so, I, right. I, so I, it had extra weight to it and probably weighed more, but it was also slowing right. the rotation, I believe. Yes, but yeah. But but yeah he but he's definitely yeah he's he's done some combo lifts like that and then he's done combo lifts with like two hundred pound inch bells and stuff. Um, but I, I think one of the things that impresses me really, just I mean I know we're just kind of going on this tangent now, but uh, is uh, his plate curls, just his yeah. position, his his positioning for curling a forty five pound plate, and that is one yeah. that I still even with thirty fives, I. My, my wrist just kind of gives a little bit or it's not as strict as I would like it. And Adam is one of the, there's a lot of guys that are out here and they curl 45s or they are swinging 55s around and their hands folded back like that. And I think, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think Nathan yeah. Hall um, in, a, in another episode, not mine. Um, I think he was being interviewed by grip sport Latino, but Nathan Hall had mentioned, they had said something about guys that would plate curl like that. They talk, they call it like a pizza box or like serving pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so um so when i see the guys that are uh you know they're plate curling but they're throwing a ton of body into it and it looks like yeah, they're yeah. serving you they're serving some pizza it kind of yeah. defeats the it kind of defeats the application of the lift for me and when right. you look at adam do the plate curls his his wrist is locked and it is strict oh, yeah. and i'm to each to each of their own you guys you know people out there can train how they want and get whatever benefit they want but when I watch Adam plate curl, I don't know that there's anybody that has better form or makes it look cleaner than he does. And that, and that's a very tough feat for anybody that yeah. has ever picked up a 45 pound plate, which, you know, even if you're not a big grip guy, you've at least been in a weight room a couple of times and seen some 45s. Imagine, you know, keeping a straight wrist with that thing and, and curling it. It's a, uh, it's insane. So yeah, oh, yeah. That, that's one that always stands out. I've to got, me. Oh yeah. I've got, so I've told him before, I've said, man, if you ever get around here, I got a, I got a Milo 50 pound plate that you'll probably get 10 reps with because oh, really? it's not, it's not even as tall as a 25 pound plate. Oh, so it's real dense, real short. Or yeah, it's, it's real yeah, short. Yeah. So, gotcha. but it's a 50 pound plate. It's two inches thick. He would curl that for at least eight to 10 reps. No problem. <laughs> you know, 
Yeah. So that's another thing about older plates and getting different size plates because you can get 45s and 35 pound plates. Like if you get um, the Dan Lurie, they're kind of like a cartoon font. They have hundreds and fifties and 25s. Well, the 25s are bigger than any 25 you'll ever have. Okay. So yeah. when you try to wrist curl it, it is a lot harder than wrist curling a regular 25. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that was some advice that Adam had given me at one point was basically like for plate curls was as much variety as you can get, different lengths, different weights, and just kind of fill all the gaps like you would with any other progressive training. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, um, James, is there anything else um, that maybe we haven't touched on that you would like to uh, hit? Like I said, uh, I've covered most of my questions for you, I think, and you got, I got yeah. some good answers from you. Um, yeah. Is there anything no, you'd like to add at all or feel pretty well, good with I'm, that? I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Um, when you, when you talk about the plate curls and having looks like you're serving pizza, I think that's an important lesson because a lot of people, and I just had a coach bring this up. We were talking and a coach messaged me about something and we got talking and his, his explanation of why this happens was really interesting, but we talked about how someone will take an assistance exercise and immediately modify it instead of doing it the way it was intended to be done. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it my way. Well, how about the guy that created it or the woman that created it did so for a reason. And that's the reason why you're doing it. So why not do it like they do it? At least figure out if that style works for you. Do it for six weeks. And then you can modify it. And the mm -hmm. coach I talked to said, well, a lot of times it's because it's such a good assistance lift that they're weak at it and they can't use a lot of weight. So they modify it so they can use a lot of weight, which I thought was really a, a very insightful. I, I thanked him for it. I'm like, I, I wouldn't have thought of it that way. I would think it was just yeah. showing off. But so when someone's doing a plate curl and they're letting their wrist get back, get bent back, you're more concerned about showing off how much you can lift because if you kept the wrist straight, that benefit is going to transfer over to thick bar work much more, much mm -hmm. more. So it's good that you can lift more weight, but what you've done is there's a trade-off. I don't want to waste time. So yeah. I'm going to try to do the most effective version of whatever it is I'm working on. So if you take on a new lift and, and it's something that is supposed to help you with something else, do yourself a favor, do it the way it was intended to be done first, no matter how, and if you're weak, you should get excited and happy because that means you need it. If you're already strong at it, then you don't need it. You can move on to something else. It's actually when we should get excited is when, when I find something I suck at, it sucks, but at the same time, I'm like, well, here you are, buddy. If you work this for the next six weeks, you know, you know, it's going to pay off. So what are yeah. you going to do? Get the work done, you know? Yeah. And then you run into the, like I said, it's not good, but then sometimes you run into the people that they kind of see that deficit and then they kind of avoid it. And then it, it starts to kind of, I guess, branch out and create bigger problems later on. Um, then you get medi medial thigh bracing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it can happen, right? Um yeah, that's pretty funny. I didn't expect to hear that one in this interview. I thought maybe that would only be Sorry. A, uh, Sorry. No. 
no, it's good. I, I thought that was only going to be maybe in a jet episode or something. Um, but it's funny that you threw that in there. But yeah, it's like it, it, it is a funny topic to me because it's like everyone else that is lifting on the same setup, taller, shorter, whatever. It's like if they don't need to do it, it's like you know, just take the time to to do the thing right, you know. Um, and, and then I know we we kind of make jokes, yeah. or that that's yeah. been a joke with the medial thigh thing or, or the handles, you know, being braced on legs. It, it is a joke, but it's like, I've seen, um, what we'll just say said person, I've seen said person, you know, do like a sub maximal lift with the handle off their body and like row it or shrug it. And I'm like, well, if you can do that, then you can deadlift it without pinning it on your thigh. So it's not an issue of your anatomy. It's an issue of, you're kind of ego lifting and you don't want to just pull 170 or 180 pounds. You, you want to pull that 200 or whatever you're shooting for. And the quickest route to that is to, Oh man, the, the pen's too tall and it, it has to hit my leg. And it's like, then you squat it up and it's like, well, your hand's not really holding it. So it, right, right. it's just one of those deals where. Yes. If I don't know who you're trying there. to fool. I don't know who you're trying to fool, but it ain't me. <laughs> Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I don't think there's a lot of people in the know that get fooled by stuff like that. So I think that your advice, um, yeah, when, when you, I don't know any handle or anything I've ever done. I mean, it's like, yeah, you should kind of get excited because when you're weak at something, like you said, that's what you need. And then yes. at the same time, like you have progress on the horizon, you have somewhere you can move to. You're not at a plateau. You have, you know, forward forward movement getting ready to take place. So um, it should well, make training exciting. Well, if I I get that we all don't like when we find something we suck at. It's no fun. But it's like, you know, this is it. There's no questioning what direction I need to go in. This mm -hmm. is it right here. Dude, just do this. And you're going to get that weight that you want on this or that or this or whatever else. Just do it. No, no more asking questions. No more hemming mm -hmm. and hawing and trying to figure it out. You just found out point blank. You suck at this lip. What are you going to do about it? You know, yeah. it's that simple, you know, and it's probably the part of you that's going to get injured. The longer you don't deal with it. Yeah. You know, no, I, 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 like I said, I definitely agree with that. And I, I think those are really good points to bring up, especially about uh, not just having weaknesses in grip, but like you said, a, as a like a training outline whole, um, yeah. accessory exercises and, and doing the doing things the way they were intended uh, to be done or for a specific yeah. purpose. And then maybe down the road, you add in different variations, but it's yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think that was a really good, a really good touch there, well, a really good point that you brought up. Just to add another touch to that, remember, okay. you got this from a top level lifter, right? Someone who's gone places you haven't gone to, right? But you're immediately going to modify what they discovered and passed on. And that's yeah. really lame, man. That is so lame. Like the person lifted way more than you, and you're going to have the ego to say, well, no, I'm going to do it my way, dude, just do it the way that the person who did it better than you did it first, do it for six weeks, then you can decide. But it's just like, well, then what's the yeah. point? Why are you bothering looking at what a top level person does? If you're just going to not do it anyways, 
Yeah, you're just going to do your own thing. Yeah, like what? So it's just very bizarre to me. Very bizarre. Oh my god! I think the most famous example of that is probably the JM press and powerlifting. Okay, yeah, yeah. So JM Blakely, yeah, I got yeah, you. I don't, um, I don't think I've met one person that does it the way he talked about it in his video. Yeah, because it is, it is a, it is a very popular, uh, you know, for bench press, it's a very popular uh, secondary movement or accessory type yeah. lift. Um, if I got back and, into bodybuilding, I would do it for bodybuilding because it hit the lower triceps unlike anything else I ever did in bodybuilding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people have access to literally watch the man himself break it down and explain it. Yes. And like yes. you're saying, you st- you still see, you know, people kind of uh, diverting away from that or not able to, I guess, stay true to it. Well, Eric Spoto famously has his version of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's okay, because Eric Spoto can bench over 700 in a t-shirt. Yes. Yes, he can do his own version. Yes, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, it's just, it's just, I don't know, it's funny to me, because we, 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 we cry and moan about lack of success, lack of options, and this, that. And then we find a chance to do something that, that can make us better, and we try to sabotage it right away. It's like, come on, man. You know? Yeah, I think it's a trap a lot of people kind of fall into and maybe they don't even realize it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah no, I, like I said, I think that's a great advice. And uh, like I said, I just thank you for taking the time to uh, thank do you. this. Like I said, I mean, I know, I know that you're not specifically a grip only guy, but you, no. you still are known throughout the grip world. You still, you yeah. know, have a influence on grip training and, and all kinds of yeah. movements. Like I even not that I want to drag it on, but it happens sometimes. Oh. Um, I even talked to uh, Ben. So yeah, Ben Helms or whatever. I, I talked to Ben Helms um, and he was even saying that I think he had even spoke to you about a position when he was working on his pressing. Oh, right. Yeah. I, inch, inch bell stuff. I ex- yeah. I explained to him about, um, I basically told him you could put that overhead today, today, if you just did some one hand jerk work. You mm-hmm. could put it over today because yeah. he's lifting it way higher than he's got to way uh-huh. higher. So if he learned how to one hand jerk, he, he would put it up today. And so I gave him, you know, made a video for him and, and showed him some stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. He's got the tools. He's got the goods. He's right there. He's right yeah. there, dude. He could do it today. I'm telling you, if he, he had a breakthrough on feeling that one hand jerk and how to do it it would happen today i want i want to see people succeed i get excited when someone makes a pr um there was a young woman today i saw had a pr on a box squat and i got excited from that you know because i follow her i know she's trying hard and anybody that makes a pr i'm i want people to succeed you know i want people to do well and seeing him how easy he can clean that and how close he is to getting it overhead, it's like, dude, just jerk it. You can get it done today, dude. I would love yeah. to see that, dude. You know, I will never do that, but man, I sure want to see you do it, buddy. You yeah, know, I think I've, I'm kind of in the same in the same boat. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could possibly in the future maybe entertain a clean, but definitely not. I don't think I'm ever pressing that overhead like that ever. I, I, I don't see any. I don't see any time where I get it to my shoulder and I'm single-handedly putting 172 over my head. I, I don't know. I just, I think well, that you could, 
you could bent press it. See, I've I've come close <laughs> to bent pressing my inch. Okay. I've almost bent pressed my inch. I've not been able to pick it up, but I can almost bench bent press it. Yeah. So if you learn to bent press and then you learn how to one hand jerk, you'll you'll get it overhead, you know, definitely. Yeah. I think that would just be one of those things too. Like I don't know how long that would take me, but yeah, I for for right now I'm kind of just pulling for Ben because I think it's out of my reach oh. for a extremely long time. And like you said, I think Ben could pull it off today if he just the right combination or the right moment happened. You could you could probably put it overhead in under six months. Okay. I would. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you, you, you. So you have a, you have a lot of faith in me. You have more faith than I have right now. So yeah, maybe that's a. Well, I think interesting. I'm going to speak about something, and I I, I try yeah. to be careful because yeah, I can't I can't pick up an inch. So it seems like, well, what the hell is this guy doing, handing out advice? It's like, well, number one, I compete in weightlifting, and I know how to put weights overhead. Yeah, there's I've different aspects bent, to it. Yeah. Well, I've been pressed a lot. And I think the one thing missing is these guys will spend a year trying to clean the inch. But when they do, it's like, now what do I do? Because they haven't spent any time practicing throwing stuff from shoulder to overhead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, if you work both, then when you get that clean, you'll be ready to throw it overhead. Yeah. So I, I think there's kind of not a lot of, there's all this thought in how to pick the inch and how to clean the inch. But I, I think there's very little thought given as to what's the best way to get that weight overhead. I think they kind of just try to heave it. And it's like, mm -hmm. man, there's a lot more science to it than that. If you want, just take yeah. that dedication to detail that you put in getting it to your shoulder. Now put that same dedication to detail into figuring out what are different ways guys in history have thrown a big weight overhead. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of them look to strong man. Well, when you're 6'3 to 6'9 and you weigh 400 pounds, you're going to have an easier time throwing stuff up overhead than guys that are more of a normal height and weight. Yeah. You know? So, again, inspiration versus information. You know, uh, be careful who you look to for what. You know, don't confuse mm -hmm. the two. And so, yeah, I think six months you could put, put an inch dumbbell overhead. I, I don't have any. Uh, because you have smaller ones, right? Yeah, yeah, I have, I have a lot of different increments that build up to it. So, yeah, that would yeah, that would be no yeah. issue. So to... you, yeah, so you, yeah, you'd start out either learning how to bend press or learning how to jerk one, a smaller one, and work your way up. And it's you would get it within six months. It's once you understand what you need to do, then it's just a matter of doing it. But it's not rocket science. Yeah. But it's. Weightlifting is unlike every, anything you're ever going to do with weights. How you snatch, how you clean, how you jerk. There is nothing you're ever going to do with weights, again, that is like that. It's like in, ma in, in advanced mathematics, they teach you about imaginary numbers. These numbers don't exist, but we're going to teach you that if they did exist, this is how you would handle them. Okay. We're going to learn about numbers that don't exist and how to handle them, even though they don't exist. Right. That's what weightlifting is. Mm -hmm. Because weightlifting is all about trying to generate all this force through your legs to get a weight overhead that you couldn't lift with your arms in a nutshell that's what it is yeah you know so if you learn how to take that and apply it to getting the inch dumbbell overhead with one hand it's the same theory it's the same type of thinking you know 
Well, maybe I'll work it's, in some. Uh, maybe I'll work in some of those lighter bells and start trying to just just get them overhead yeah, for fun and just just to maybe mix it in and kind of add some variety to the training because you're right. I am very deadlift heavy. I don't even try to clean inch bells too often. Um, I've cleaned some of my lighter ones, but even then, it's probably not as much as I should if I'm well, looking to go that route. But yeah, more overhead overhead work wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, and a recommendation I made to him to build shoulder endurance is to do a get-up with the inch dumbbell. Do a one-hand get-up. Lay on the ground, get the inch dumbbell to arm's length, and now get up into a standing position, holding that bell at arm's length the whole time. Yeah. You know? It's going to build a lot of shoulder uh, endurance and mobility, you know? So you're going to be much more stable when it comes time to pop it overhead. Yeah. You know? But like I said, you could get it in under six months. I have no doubt about it. No doubt. Okay, well, like I said, well, maybe maybe we'll test the theory, or I'll get to work on some things and see what. Uh, yeah, see how yeah, it goes. Throw me, you know, throw me some questions. Say, hey, what do you mean by this? What the heck is that? You know, yeah. I don't mind helping out. I'd rather people succeed, even if it's to help them do stuff I'm never going to do. Great, I don't care because I get amped up when he when when Ben hits that. It's going to be crazy, you know. Mm-hmm. It's going to drive me through the roof. It's going to make me want to go train. When you hit it, it's going to make me want to go out in the driveway and train, you know? Yeah. But isn't that what it's about? We're all supposed to help each other and inspire each other, you know? Yeah. And that is something too that like, I mean, you can almost feel like not training one day and then somebody does a certain thing or you see something, oh you have God. a conversation with somebody and then it kind of like lights a fire. And next thing you know, you're like completely like flipped a switch, ready to train, you know? So it, I, it does, it does work like that. I cannot tell you how many times where I, I like, I got to go home now. I got to go train. I just saw that video. They just nailed that PR, you know, mm-hmm. like when Jed did that double one hand pinch of the York deep dish third generation 45s. I don't know. Yeah. I got a, so much fuel out of that. Cause it was like, that is so insane. That's like old time strongman feet from a hundred years ago. That's how insane yeah. that was, dude. You know, yeah. seriously, dude. Like, Oh yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And, and like I said, just, just kind of seeing some of those plates in person. Yeah. I, I get what you mean when it comes to plate pinch like that, just that wide and the, the difficulty of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, not it's, just plate pinching 45s. You will never, ever find it so technically difficult. You'll have the strength long before you'll have the technical ability. Yeah. That, that, that makes sense. I would and now, of course, I'm gonna armchair this, and if you if people want to rip me apart because I've never done it, but I would I would dare say that pinch gripping the Alico 25 kilo plates is probably easier than pinch gripping those deep dish York 45s. Yeah, you know, I I, I don't know. It would it would be tough to say, and it, it might be the the variance in different people's hands and like where their window of strength is could could maybe sway people one way or the other on that on on that argument but uh well i don't know i'm I'm gonna kind of just maybe throw some uh i don't want to say like evidence out there yeah 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 but but if we were to look at it um and we're gonna i'm gonna name some familiar characters here just be just because um I'm I'm just aware, but we've seen at, at Jed's place because we're talking about Jed doing this lift at Jed's. We've seen um, 
Luke Raymond and Clint Ziegler have both pinched, I believe, rogue 55s. So 50, you know, 25 kilo or 55 pound plates. Yeah. I don't think either of them have ever been close to lifting the deep dish Yorks. Right. You know, just, just, just to, to, for, I guess, evidence on what your claim would be that the 110 pound narrower pinch is easier than, you know, and, and like I said, maybe that's the case for them. Maybe someone else is the other way around. I right. m- maybe the 55s are too narrow for a bigger hand. I I don't know. You know, it, it, right. you could get some different arguments, but what you're saying is definitely um, there's at least a few examples I can point to that that's the case. Yeah. So there, there, there's got to be. You'll have the strength long before you'll have the technical ability. It just, yeah, it's just crazy, just crazy. Uh, do you have a pair of those deep dish York uh, 45s? I, I don't own any. Um, I, I went to nationals at Jed's and I saw them there. So I, 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 didn't, I didn't try to pinch them or anything, um, but I could see how they kind of lined up. So, yeah. oh, and then I had a, uh, I had a single deep dish that I found, but I, I, I sold it. So I don't have it anymore, but I just had one single that I did like a hub lift with and like lifted the inch bell and hub lifted the deep dish York. Um, yeah. But, but, but yeah. to uh but to actually pinch two of them nah it, it it would take it would take me a ton of work and it would take a lot of dedication for that one specifically so oh yeah but uh and um uh, jed when jed was training it i remember and i was there in person and i thought this was so smart because i've struggled with this because the plates are round on the outside so they don't sit up without falling down well jed would use a, a seat cushion or a couch cushion and he would set them on the couch cushion. They would sink into the sponge, into the cushion, and they would stay there instead of trying to fall fall out of his hand yeah. while he's trying to set them up. And I'm like, man, it's a little stuff like that. You know, yeah. you pick up stuff from other people. I love that stuff. You know, just the, the little simple cheap stuff that helps you out, you know. Yeah. Well, James, like I said, uh, I – I think we probably covered a decent amount. I know I've kind of went on a couple little yeah. run-ons here at the end, but that's uh, fine. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. like I said, I've really enjoyed uh, kind of just getting getting some of your opinions on some of these topics and just hearing some names that you know. Like I said, it's the grip show, so we're talking about grip strength, but I definitely, like I said, with, with us talking about kind of a variety of different weightlifting or different strength pursuits, you know, there's a lot of names that got mentioned today that maybe aren't as familiar or aren't as known to the grip community and maybe it kind of expands their mind or gets them to look into some different people and maybe opens their mind about training in general. Maybe there's things yeah. that they can add to their game. So that was part of uh, definitely wanting to reach out to you for that history and kind of knowledge on it, on all that stuff. And uh, yeah. like I said, it just, just, just to kind of mix it up and uh, not just, you know, interview, Oh, that we're going to talk about the same five to 10 guys in the same five to 10 feets. Right. It's like, I, Right. I, I wanted you to bring in a, you know, some different perspectives or some different philosophies on things and introduce some different names and things like that. So I'd say the mission's probably been accomplished and uh, yes, I, I, um, like I said, really appreciate your time. And like I said, any, no, anything, I, anything you have to add, go ahead. And, well, I guess now that we're talking, um, I get asked about what do I recommend for like mm-hmm. regular grip strength, regular training uh i'm not saying this right without specialized implements what kind of uh like a barbell lift or a dumbbell lift and i tell people upright rows keep your hands closed 
They're going to try to open. Don't let them open. Uh, upright rows and uh, uh, snatch grip bent rows. Uh, when you do them right, you can feel the stress shift from each, to each finger on the way up. So at the top, mm -hmm. it'll be on your index, and then back down, it'll be on your pinky. And okay. it just it, you can feel the shift in the stress on each finger with a, with a snatch grip bent row. And with a dumbbell, I tell people to do the old-style dumbbell swing where they would swing the dumbbell all the way overhead. The old time strongman would do. And you think about that arc as it's pulling on your hand and how it's changing that direction. Yeah. Those three are like the easiest, no special equipment needed. They really help you develop some strength, you know, in your grip. Okay. Yeah. And like I said, those are a little, I guess, to many in the grip world, that's something they're probably not doing currently. And uh, it wouldn't be as conventional to what, what we're seeing in today's, Right. what most people are posting you don't see you know i can go through my timeline and see you know 10 different rolling handle videos i'm not seeing right. what you're describing so right. Right. um i right. you know thank you for kind of breaking out that advice and um like i said just kind of giving a different spin on it or just kind of opening people's minds about training because it's i, I want people to take their training somewhere where you know they haven't been yet or maybe address problems yes. they've been avoiding and things like that so yeah. and and uh yeah. Whenever you, if your plate has rims on it, don't pick it up with the fingers under the rim, pick it up with your thumb under the rim instead. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Tim Crumry of the uh, Bengals would say, uh, when it comes to grip training, it's four against one, you got to train the thumb. So <laughs> you want a stronger grip. Training the other fingers is great, but man, that thumb has got to be strong. Yeah. So I've trained myself to pick up my hundred pound plates by just my thumb. Yeah. under the rim mm -hmm. so you can make it happen you know just simple stuff like that it doesn't sound like much but when you're loading and unloading the bar and putting the weights away if you just grip it with your thumb under the rim instead it adds up over time man yeah it kind of just accumulates and you're you're getting work yeah. in without really even knowing it. yeah it's kind it's, of just there i call it the work in between the sets mm -hmm. you know so but no, thanks for having me on i i had a great time mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, James, thanks for the tips and everything else. And hopefully everybody, uh, yeah. hopefully everybody will kind of take the, uh, take the advice and stuff like that. And if, uh, like I said, I'll reach out if I got any questions about training as well. Yeah. Um, like I said, yeah. I, I, I can't promise you that I'm going to put the inch bell overhead in six months. I won't say that, but, but I'll, like oh, I said, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll at least oh, yeah. try to, uh, I'll, I'll at least start maybe looking down that path to kind of balance some stuff out and, uh, I'll hit you up if yeah. I got questions. So, well, just play with the lighter ones and get a feel for it. Yeah. And I'll send you some stuff to help explain it. But once you get it, it's really, once you understand it, then it's a matter of just practicing it. That's all it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, look forward to uh, maybe giving that a shot. And uh, yeah. like I said, I look forward to, you know, the listeners getting to hear this and hopefully they can uh, pull some information from it, um, whatever yes. that may be. And, uh, yes. like I said, we'll just stay in touch on uh, the training side of things and I'll keep yeah. you updated whenever yeah. stuff will be released or coming out and all that. And, uh, like I said, we'll just be in touch about training and like I said, kind of see yeah. where some of these feats go. So, yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll sign off with that. 